Why don't we go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father in heaven, we thank you for this Wednesday prayer meeting that we can come together and study your word. We pray that you would bless us as we study from the book of Romans and may we learn things that will help us in our walk with you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. So this is Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 31 that we are going to be looking at this evening. <clears throat> As we've gone through the book of Romans, one thing that has been developed as we've continued through our study is that the wrath of God is poured out on the wicked. And not only that, in chapter 2 we see that whether you're, you are a Jew or a Gentile, if you are transgressing God's law, you receive his wrath. And in chapter 3, we see that in the first several verses, we see the concept of the advantage of being God's chosen people. You receive the oracles of God, and through that mechanism, God works through a chosen people with the oracles to vindicate his name. So we studied that last week. Um, Romans 3 verse 4 talks about how God is justified in his sayings. He's overcome or he, he overcomes when he judges. And that is being quoted from Psalms 51. And in that context, David says, Lord, you can be justified in saying I am righteous. And you can, be, you can overcome when you are judged because you've blotted out my sins in the judgment. So God can be just and the justifier of those who believe in him because he's going to blot out the sins of his righteous saints. And that is involved in the vindication of God's character. And then we saw the concept of sinful human flesh in verses 10 through 19. And it's interesting, the, we didn't talk about this so much last week, but starting in verse 10, it says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11 says there's none that understand us. So part of fallen flesh is that we have a tendency to not understand the things of God. And then you go on and you see that their tongues have used deceit. And the very contrast of that is seen in the 144,000 who have no guile in their mouth. And in verse 18, it says there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now realize this is describing both the Jew and the Gentile doesn't matter if you're born into God's chosen people or if you're a Gentile who's never heard of God. This is the way human sinful flesh operates. And yet the 144,000 at the end of time who stand on Mount Zion with a lamb have no guile in their mouth and they have been prepared by the three angels' messages, which includes fear of God, give glory to him. The hour of his judgment has come. So, in a sense, or in essence, the 144,000 have not allowed their sinful human flesh to keep them from being overcomers, completely purified of sin. And so, 
as we've looked at Romans chapter 3 and how God will be justified in his sayings, he'll be overcome when he, or he, I keep saying this wrong, but he will overcome when he is judged in the judgment. And what we see here is God is vindicated in the judgment because he blots out the sins of his righteous people. And in the 144,000, what you see, you see a group of people who have no guile in their mouths. They're without fault before the throne of God. Um, they have been perfected by the three angels' messages, fear God, give glory to him. They keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And so in the judgment, God is vindicated because here is a group of people who despite the weakness of sinful flesh, the natural tendency of sinful flesh, through the power of Christ, they have overcome. And so in the judgment, God is justified because it is shown that the power of God can produce a group of people that even though they have weak sinful flesh, don't have to give in to that sinful flesh. And as we go through what we're going to see in Romans 4, and we'll see it again in Romans 8, Abraham is an example of someone who had weak, sinful human flesh, and yet he overcame. And then in Romans 8, we, say that we see that Jesus came in weak, sinful flesh, and because he overcame, his righteousness can be fulfilled in us. So when Paul talks about God being justified or vindicated in Romans chapter 3, what he is basically saying is this. There is going to come a time that no matter what any human being says, God will be vindicated. And believe it or not, here's the odds that God's facing. Human beings have a natural tendency to go against God. They don't understand. Their tongues are full of deceit. They don't have the fear of God. And yet, God is so powerful, and this is what Paul is saying, God is so powerful, I'm going to outline the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through this gospel, God will take a group of people who were subject to the wrath of God, whether Jew or Gentile, because of their weak, sinful flesh, they have sinned against God. And God is going to, through the power of the gospel, prepare them to have the characteristics of the 144,000. And in that sense, God will be justified in his sayings and overcome when he is judged. So that's, that's what we see here in Romans 3. And it's interesting, when you get to verse 19, after you see the description of human flesh. In verse 19, it says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Or another way of saying it is subject to the judgment of God. So because of human flesh, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all the world is subject to the judgment of God to receive his wrath. And then Paul says in verse 20, therefore, because human beings, whether Jew or Gentile, do not follow after God, 
by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And here's a simple illustration. Paul pr has proved that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, with the weakness of their sinful flesh being the key factor in that point. So here's the point. If all of us have sinned, and we all have, no matter what good that we do the rest of our lives, if all there was was the law of God and the judgment and nothing else, all the world would be guilty before God. And that's it. So I, I do something that's sinful to my wife yesterday, and then the rest of my life, in everything that I do, whether with her or anything else, I am 100% perfect. I'm still guilty before God in the judgment. So there has to be something else in order for me to receive salvation. Then, obviously, there's something else besides anything I can do in order for salvation to take place. And yet, in Romans chapter 2, and we've talked about this, um, it says in verse 13 that not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. So by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified, but only the doers of the law shall be justified. So you put those two things together, and it immediately does away with a theology that says you can keep sinning as long as you want and you'll still be justified because that's not what Romans 2 teaches. And yet the point that Paul makes in Romans 3 is because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all the obedience in the world that you can produce on your own will never justify you because you've at least sinned once. And so there's, there has to be something outside of you that brings justification. So once we get to verse 19 and verse 20, Paul has proven his point crystal clear. Whether you're a Jew who knows the law of God and you know the Ten Commandments, or you're a Gentile who's never heard of the things of God, because of our human flesh, we have all chosen to sin. We've fallen short of God's glory. And therefore, we are all guilty before God. Once Paul has established that point, he can now then talk about what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. That is such good news. So if all we have is Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 3 verse 20, it's actually a fairly dismal picture because we have seen our true condition. We're all subject to the judgment of God. And at this point, we need some hope. And in verse 21, we see this. Sure, go ahead. Keep it short there. Sure. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot of things that you know, we can talk about with the vindication of God's character. Um, obviously, the fact that the devil was in a, perfect in a perfect environment as a perfect created being and sinned, and yet God's last day people, through the power of the gospel, live in the worst time that's ever been, 
and are hit with the greatest temptations ever seen and yet through the power of God are overcomers. So it totally defeats the devil's arguments. And there's a lot more that we could talk about with respect to that. What we're going to do now is we're going to look specifically at what the gospel is. And I probably should bring the, the diagram out again. <clears throat> Diagrams are helpful to understanding things. <clears throat> so, verse 21, we see an immediate contrast to everything that Paul said. In verse 20, he says, therefore, which sums up all that he has said. And then verse 21, he draws a contrast where he says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So what we've seen so far is the wickedness or the sinfulness of man. Now we see the righteousness of God. Now, <clears throat> how perfect is the righteousness of God? Absolutely. It's absolutely perfect. So we've seen the sinfulness of man, the wickedness of man, the weakness of sinful human flesh. Now, the righteousness of God is being manifested, and it's been witnessed by the law and the prophets. So Paul is making reference to the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And he goes on to explain more what this is. Even the righteousness of God, so same thing again, righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So verse 22 tells us something. How is the righteousness of God manifested? It's by the faith of Jesus Christ. So, righteousness of God is manifested by the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> so, when was the righteousness of God manifested? When Jesus lived here on this earth. And... It's interesting in Romans 1, one of the very first things that Paul says is good news about the gospel is that it's concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. So faith of Jesus Christ is a manifestation of the righteousness of God. And Jesus Christ was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. Okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> and I'll just throw in a quick point here. Um, if you read the original translation, the, the original manuscripts say the righteousness of God by faith of Jesus Christ. It's an objective interpretation of what the righteousness of God is. The righteousness of God is the faith of Jesus Christ. Um, most modern translations say it's by faith in Jesus Christ. However, scholars admit that it's a subjective interpretation of what the passage actually says. The, the interpreters were reading into what Paul was trying to say. 
And Paul was actually saying, literally, the righteousness of God is manifested by the faith of Jesus Christ, not faith in Jesus Christ. There is a difference there. So, <clears throat> notice, now, we're going to focus in here on the element of what is so powerful and what is so wonderful about this good news. So the righteousness of God is manifested by the faith of Jesus Christ. And notice who it's manifested to or who it's for. It's unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So what is Paul saying when he says, this is for all who believe, there's no difference? Absolutely. So whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, there's no difference. You can experience the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, if you believe. So he point, and he, he made this point in an illustration at the end of chapter 2. He says, to be a real Jew, you need to be one inwardly. So if you're not a Jew and you're living a circumcised life spiritually, even though physically you're uncircumcised, you're actually really a Jew and you're counted as being righteous, which is interesting because he uses the word counted as being circumcised when he's describing an inward experience, which goes against the idea that to be counted righteous is only an outward righteousness experience. You had a comment back here? Okay. <clears throat> so, the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, is to all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference. And we keep coming up or coming upon this word to them that believe. We've seen it earlier in the book of Romans. And a lot of people like to say, well, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, and so therefore, you know, I'm saved. And yet in James 2, it says the devils believe and tremble. But they're not saved. And the best thing that we can do when it comes to understanding what a particular author in a particular book is trying to convey through a particular word is to see how that word is used in other places in the same book. Of course, it doesn't hurt to go to other places in the Bible as well. But especially if you find the same word in the same book. And what we're going to do, we're going to do this... Um, in our next study on chapter 4. But in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Does this sound pretty similar to what we're talking about here in Romans 3? In Romans 3, it says, If you believe, you receive the righteousness of God. In Romans 4, it says, Abraham believed, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So what I'm saying is, with Abraham, or with the word believe, Abraham, specifically the faith of Abraham in Romans chapter 4, is going to be crucial to helping us understand what it means that the righteousness of God is to all that believe. And I'll give you a hint. If you study Genesis 15, as it relates to Romans 4, you'll clearly get the answer. So we'll do that next time. But here's a key point, and I should probably keep things moving, but there's so much in here. <clears throat> Notice 
that the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> that's how the righteousness of God is manifested. It's by the faith of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, when he lived here on this earth, as he exercised faith, he was the manifestation of the righteousness of God. Amen. Here's the interesting point. In the third angel's message, when God is vindicated through his last day people, they keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. So the third angel's message is a demonstration of the righteousness of God. Amen. Absolutely. And there's a few more things to point out here. Some of you were here when I talked about justification by faith as it relates to the third angel's message. And I'll just run through this quickly. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, it says twice that we are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. So... I guess I'll draw this down here. We're justified. And you can write these verses down. But we're justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. And in, in Galatians 2.20, it says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I live by the faith of Jesus Christ. So crucified... In Galatians 2.20, Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> the righteousness of God is manifested by the faith of Jesus Christ. Those who are justified are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. And as we're going to go through the book of Romans, to be justified means to be imputed righteous, or to be counted as righteous, or to be declared righteous. And yet, in order to be justified, what this suggests is that if you're justified by the faith of Christ, and when you're crucified, you live by the faith of Jesus Christ, this means that being justified and being crucified is the same. And so that means in order to be declared righteous, you need to be crucified with Christ. And if you're crucified with Christ, that's not an outward experience only. That means entire surrender. Jesus went to the brink. He didn't know if he was going to come out the other side, but he did what his father told him to do. And <clears throat> when we are crucified with Christ, we are fully surrendered we are also justified, and we live by the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, think about it this way. Or the, uh, one other point. Ellen White says God requires the entire surrender of the heart before justification can take place. So cr being crucified and being surrendered is the same. So in order to be justified, surrender is key. And when we are surrendered and crucified with Christ, Christ lives in us. And that's the mystery of God in Revelation 10, Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is going to be finished in the second advent movement. And when the mystery of God is finished in the second advent movement, what we see is the patience of the saints who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus Christ. So it all comes back to your understanding of the gospel in Romans and Galatians. In order to be or in order to understand the three angels' messages, we have to understand what justification is, how it relates to being crucified with Christ, how that's tied into the faith of Jesus, 
how it's tied into the mystery of God. The other interesting point is, is then if, if when I'm crucified, I live by the faith of Jesus Christ, that means Christ is living in me. So I'm crucified with Christ, I'm dead, but Christ is alive in me. So when I exercise faith, I'm exercising the faith of Jesus Christ because he's living in me, which means that when I'm justified, Christ lives in me, which means that if Christ is living in me when I'm justified, that means the mystery of God is also justification by faith, which also means that we can show in that respect how when Ellen White says the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity, here's how. Because I'm justified by the faith of Christ, Christ lives in me. When I exercise faith, I exercise his faith. So anyway, that's, that's a repetition of something we did a few weeks ago here. That's right. The message of Minneapolis was the beginning of the outpouring of the latter rain. And if there's one quote that sticks out in my memory from Wagner where he says, Christ is to be in us just as God was in him, and his character is to be in us just as God was in him, the mystery of God in you and me. That is the third angel's message. And that's what they were teaching in Minneapolis. So the point is, <clears throat> up until this point, what we've seen is that sinful human flesh, all it does, apart from God, is sin. That makes it subject to the judgment of God. That makes all of us guilty before God. And yet, God is going to do something so powerful that he's going to bring in his righteousness through Jesus Christ and how Jesus lived here on this earth. And all those who believe, just as Abraham did, and are justified just as Abraham was, will receive the righteousness of God. And because of that, we will no longer face a guilty verdict in the judgment. And that is the best news that has ever been in the history of the universe. When you understand the gospel in that way, we all deserve death and a guilty verdict in the judgment. But because of what Jesus has done, those who believe will not face the wrath of God and the judgment. And we're just getting started. Then verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Paul reminds us, hey, we've all sinned. But then verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So... <clears throat> How much do you have to pay for your justification? It's free. Now, <clears throat> let's think again about Jesus Christ here. How much did he give up so that we could be justified? He gave up everything. It cost him everything. It cost him everything. So what's our problem when we think we're giving up so much of this, like the things that the world has to offer when God's offering this to us for free. All he asks is surrender, to be crucified with Christ. Now, admittedly, being crucified is not a pleasant experience, humanly speaking. And yet, with 
that experience comes eternal salvation through the blood of Christ. So we're justified freely by the grace of Jesus Christ through the redemption that is in Christ. From the, from the blood of Christ, he redeems us through his blood. If Jesus doesn't die, we can't talk about any of this. Jesus dies on the cross, and all those who will be saved with him will be crucified with him. <clears throat> now, verse 25, I want to spend a, a few minutes on this. It says, speaking of Christ, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So here we get this word propitiation. <clears throat> And it comes from the Greek word hilasterion. And do you know how many other places in the Bible this word hilasterion shows up? Maybe one other place. And do you know where it is? It's in Hebrews 9. And it's with respect to the word mercy seat. So if you look in Hebrews 9, I need to look up the verse. It may be verse 5, but I'd better look that up. Um. <clears throat> yeah, Paul wrote Hebrews also. No, it's a different word. There is that word propitiation in the English in 1 John 2, but it's a different Greek word. So it's not exactly the same meaning. So yeah, it's Hebrews 9, verse 5. <clears throat> so here's something interesting. The mercy seat is being described by this word hilasterion, and the word propitiation is being used to describe what happens to our sins through the blood of Christ. Now, if you understand the sanctuary message, the mercy seat in the sanctuary system was of significance on the Day of Atonement. And it was at the mercy seat, which is at the throne of God, where the judgment takes place, where the sins of God's people were blotted out. And what Paul is basically pointing out here is, is that God is going to take care of the sins of his people through the blotting out of sin on the Day of Atonement at the mercy seat. So Christ's blood... will be the mechanism that blots out God's, the sins of God's people. And Jesus went into the Most Holy Place on October 22, 1844. So in essence, when Romans 3 talks about how Christ was set forth to be a propitiation, <clears throat> through faith in his blood, what that's talking about is that all those who have faith in the blood of Christ, they realize that Christ is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Remember John 1.29? Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. How does he take away the sin of the world? Through his blood. What does his blood do to take away the sin of God's people? It's a propitiation or the blood is what is used to blot out the sins of God's people. And so those who lived before 1844, were their sins blotted out? 
No, but they had faith in the blood of the sacrifice, Jesus, the Lamb of God, that someday his blood would blot out their sin. Were they justified? Yes, by faith, absolutely. But this is an interesting point. Paul is bringing in the sanctuary message to the concept of righteousness by faith here in Romans 3, that God has set forth Christ to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Now, if you look at the context of verse 25, there's going to come a time when the sins of God's people will be blotted out through the propitiation of Christ's blood. And there's going to come a time when his righteousness will be declared. And what I am suggesting is, is that when the sins of God's people are blotted out, that is when Christ's righteousness will most fully be declared in a way that it's been declared in the history of this world. And that would fit with our understanding of Revelation 18 when a mighty angel comes down from heaven, the earth is lightened with his glory. What's happened here? The glory of God, which is his character's being, is lightening the earth, and the character of Christ is the righteousness of Christ, and it's being declared through the lives of God's people because their sins have been blotted out. So now there's no record of sin. So now the righteousness of Christ can be declared in fullness. And in verse 26, it continues, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And so verse 26 is, is key as well. So if you look at verse 25, <clears throat> when Christ makes a propitiation for our sins, the sins of God's people will be blotted out, which will then make it possible for the righteousness of Christ to be fully declared because there's now no more record of sin among the lives of God's people. And when that happens, in verse 26, it can truly be said that God is just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. And this takes us back to Romans chapter 3, verse 4, where it says that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. In Romans 3, verse 4, Paul is quoting David in Psalms 51, where David says, blot out my sins, and when you do, then you will be justified in your sayings and overcome when you are judged. And what Paul is saying here is, look, when a propitiation is made for the sins of God's people over the mercy seat, when the sins of God's people are blotted out, that will be the time that God is just to say that his people are righteous because their sins are blotted out. And he can truly be the justifier of those who believe in Jesus because their sins have been blotted out. Now, people who don't understand what propitiation means or the sanctuary message, what they'll say is, you know what? God is just and he can justify whoever he wants. So you might still be sinning, and you're still sinning, but God covers you with his righteousness. But you know what? God can do whatever he wants because he's just and he's the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. But you realize in Hebrews 6 and in the book of Titus, Paul, who is the same author, says that it is impossible for God to lie. So think about this. If God says that you are justified, 
or if God says that you are just, or if God says that you are righteous, or if God declares that you are righteous, just remember that it's impossible for God to lie. So if God says Abraham is just, but Abraham's still sinning, who is telling the truth and who's telling a lie? There's no way that God can say that Abraham is righteous if Abraham is actually still sinning and transgressing God's law, because that would make God a liar. And God doesn't lie. So if God says that you're righteous, that means you are righteous. If God declares that you're righteous, that means you really are righteous, because God doesn't lie. And the reason why God can be just in declaring someone righteous is because there is coming a time in the judgment when he will blot out the sins of his people and then there will be no record of sin. So then when the devil says, well, hey, but I saw Norman McNulty do this, this, and this. He's a sinner. God will say, prove it from the record book. And there will be no record. And God is just. Now, here's the point. God will only blot out the sins of those people who have overcome every sin in their life. So when you come to the judgment, those who, through the power of the gospel, are crucified with Christ, Christ lives in them, they exercise the faith of Jesus, and they keep the commandments of God, and so they're the description of the third angel's message. Those are the people those who keep the commandments of God and they have the faith of Jesus, those are the ones who will have their sins blotted out in the judgment. And because of that, God can then be just to justify all those who have believed in Jesus through the centuries. Sure. Sure. So if a person is crucified with Christ, they're going to be obedient. If Christ lives in someone who is crucified with Christ, that person will live an obedient life. That's that's what it means to be crucified with Christ, living by the faith of the Son of God in the flesh. So I'm going to try to, I'll, I'm going to wrap up here and we'll get to our prayer time here. So then what we see in verse 27, it says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. So we have nothing to boast of because we know that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if we are going to be saved, it's only going to be through Jesus Christ. So we have nothing to boast of. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. So we can't work our way to salvation. It's only through the law of faith. And then verse 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So when we're justified by faith, it's by the faith of Jesus Christ. You can see that in Galatians 2. And it's not by any works that we have done. And verse 29, Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Here's the point. God is the God of both the Jews and the Gentiles because he saves both the same way. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, God saves you the same way. Verse 30, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. And then you come to the end of verse 31, it becomes very clear how this all comes together. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. And again, here we see this, this phrase, God forbid. It comes up a lot in Romans, starting here in verse 3, or in chapter 3. 
and it keeps coming back. And the, the point that keeps coming back, at the beginning of the chapter, Paul is saying, some say, let us do good, the evil may come. The more we sin, the more grace that will come, God forbid. End of the chapter, hey, should we make void the law of God because we're justified apart from the law? No, we establish the law, God forbid. Chapter 6, what, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin continue any longer therein? So it's very clear as you, you study this concept, Paul makes the points, hey, we're justified apart from the deeds of the law, but by the way, God forbid that you do with, away with the law. God forbid that you keep sinning because we that are dead to sin don't continue doing that. And so final point that I'll make is this. How is the law established in the righteousness of Christ? Well, look, the righteousness of God is manifested by the faith of Jesus Christ. Jesus knew no sin. So he perfectly demonstrated the law of God here on this earth. And those who are justified will be crucified. Christ will live in them. They demonstrate the faith of Jesus. Therefore, they keep the commandments of God. Because if Christ lives in us, then he's not going to sin in us. That's the bottom line. If Christ is living in us, Christ does not sin while living in us because he knows no sin. So if we want to sin, we can let sin come back in and Christ will go back out. That's our choice. So the law, and this is really the 1888 message. Christ was magnified in the law because they were just preaching the law, the law, the law. And what this does, it says, look, when we uplift Christ, we will uplift an obedient Christ-like life that is demonstrated in our lives every day. And that's the righteousness of God, which is manifested by the faith of Jesus Christ. And it's the third angel's message in verity, which is the last message of warning to a lost and dying world. And I'll tell you, when you look at this world around us, someone who is struggling with depression and discouragement, maybe they even have an addiction to drugs or other sinful habits, and they come to church and they want a message that will give them deliverance, and they hear messages that say, it's okay, you can stay addicted to all the sins that you can think of. Christ will cover you with his righteousness and you'll still have a life of misery here, here on this earth on your way to heaven. That's not going to be a message of hope and encouragement to the lost and dying world around us. But what will give them good news and hope is a message that says God is so powerful that when you let him come in, he'll give you victory over all of those things in your lives and then you'll have heaven here on earth. And that's what the world is looking for. And so the, there is coming a time when that angel will come down from Revelation 18 and the earth will be lightened with his glory and it will be a message of Christ and his righteousness that is the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And that's our message. So be, let's be faithful to it and let's study so that we can teach it to others and also so that we live it ourselves.